Y'all, it's a beautiful Sunday morning. I think y'all need to get a little louder than that. Good morning, church. Thank you. That's a little better. Well, hey, my name is Sam, and I serve as the campus pastor here at the West location. Uh, it is a beautiful day, and it is good to see all of y'all and your beautiful faces as well. I want to thank you guys for joining online with us. Uh, uh, if you're here this morning and you haven't already, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be continuing on in our series of Galatians, and we'll look at the text that we just heard read, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Uh, and so as you turn there, I want to share with you guys a, a question that I get asked often. And that question is, Sam, how did you and your family get from the great nation of Texas to the good life here in Nebraska? And it's a long, complicated story. Not really. Uh, it's fairly simple. Uh, my wife and I live, or, uh, were on staff with a college ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, or crew, for about six years of our life. Uh, and one of the things that we got to do each summer uh, is they would send us to a location uh, to do like a discipleship intensive with college students. And so we had multiple summers, y'all, where we had to suffer for the Lord in San Diego, California, on the beach, Mission Bay, Mission Beach. It was amazing. But uh, one of the, the summers that we were there, my wife and I got to live in a condo with the one and only Chris and Kristen Haruska. And so like a little bromance, a friendship happened. And a decade later, I'm in Omaha uh, laboring here at City Light Church. Anyways, that's the short of it. Uh, but going back to San Diego and Summer Project, these were, like I was saying, discipleship intensives. So we'd have like 30 crew staff members from uh, uh, around the U.S. come, and we'd have 120 college students from all over the U.S. come, and it was literally like a spiritual greenhouse. Like our desire was to teach these students how to share their faith. We discipled these students. We wanted them to also disciple others, and we wanted to train them and equip them to be uh, spiritual leaders to make a difference for Jesus us on their college campus. And so crew had figured out like, yes, do this in desirable locations, people will come. And so when you have 120 college students show up in San Diego, one of the things that happens is you have students that have literally never seen the ocean before, let alone swam in it. And so uh, kind of early on first meeting is we had to kind of give a little bit of an explanation of here's what to do in the ocean and what not to do in the ocean. And so like, if you couldn't swim, not a good idea to go get in the ocean. Not a good idea to go swim in the ocean at night. Not a good idea to go swim by yourself. Uh, and then we kind of had to let people know of this thing called rip currents, right? And so as uh, the tide comes in or as the swells come in, as the waves come in, like normally things are coming this way, but there's always spots where there's a current going back out. And so we had to teach our students how to recognize it, what to do if you got in one, don't swim against it, swim out. Um, but one of the summers, we had a guy who just loved playing in the, the rip current. He was a good swimmer, so I guess, you know, that was okay for him. The problem was, uh, one of the days, he influenced some of his buddies to do it with him. And uh, to put it generously and graciously, one of the guys was not the strongest swimmer. In fact, I don't even think he could swim at all. I don't know if he'd ever been in water. But he gets in, and he's like, well, if I just stay kind of shallow, and I don't go fully into it, I'll be okay. But if you've been in the ocean, you know there's times where like water's here and like 30 seconds later, like water's up here. And so uh, the, the swells come in and all of a sudden he's gone. You know, he, he got swept away. We never saw him again. I think he's on a desert island somewhere. I'm kidding. There was a lifeguard there. Lifeguard hopped in, like saved him, brought him in. But what I'm telling you this story for and what I'm pointing out is you see this student was influenced by someone. 
And it was someone that he actually loved and trusted and was his friend. They lived in a, a room together. And what he had done is ignore the warning that he had heard. He had ignored the truth and the coaching that he had got from uh, the staff team to stay away from the rip current, and he got swept away. And so similarly, in our text today, we're going to see Paul writing to the Galatians in an effort to keep them from getting swept away. He's seeking to correct them in their error of adding to the truth of the gospel and therefore distorting the gospel. And so the main idea in our text today that we'll see is that there is one true gospel, the gospel of grace, and we must hold fast to it. And so as believers, we have to know and believe the gospel every day. And we must contend not with just things that are out there, but we must contend with things that are going on in our own hearts. And so this matters for us this morning because we all can and do drift from the truth. We have to see that our greatest danger is not necessarily like uh, the blatant falsehood and heresies that can come at us from outside. Like, let's say you went home today and you're sitting on your front porch and you see two 18 to 20 year old guys walking up in a suit on a bicycle and they've got little name tags that say Elder Daniel and Elder Stephen and they want to come up to you and say, yes, we're Christians and the world may label what they're doing and what you believe Christian, but the reality is the Jesus that they're talking about and the Jesus that we know and love and believe are not the same thing. Like we can spot blatant heresy. It's easy for us to see that. It's easy for us to see falsehoods. And so that's not necessarily, that is a danger, but it's not the greatest danger. I think the greatest danger for us as believers is the subtle messages that come at us every day and seek to cause us to drift and compromise and shift. And so you see, we live in a time and a culture where every day there are thousands of messages that are seeking to contend for your heart and lead you astray. And so this text today warns us as believers that we've got to be ready, that we've got to be equipped, that we've got to be grounded in the truth of the gospel, that we've got to be anchored to the gospel of grace so that we're not swept away. We've got to, yes, be able to spot blatant errors that are out there, but at the same time, we've got to see the subtle things that are fighting for our affections and for our heart. And so in our text today, Paul is going to point out uh, this problem in the Galatian churches uh, and how, they, th how we can learn from their error. So I've got five verses. We'll have three points. Each of the points is going to point out an error that the Galatian church stepped into. And so let's dive in. Point one is... The gospel plus anything is no gospel. And so what we're going to see is that the main and primary error that the Galatian church fell into today was turning from the true gospel. And so pick up with me in verse 6. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And so Paul doesn't waste any time uh, after his greeting. Normally, Paul, if you are familiar with any of his letters or epistles, he'll pause and he'll actually encourage a church. He'll affirm a church. He'll give thanks for a church. He'll pray for a church. But that's not the case here. Here, he's so burdened by the problem and the error that they've drifted into that he immediately hops in uh, to correcting them, to pointing out their area, error and calling them out. And so his tone is one of, he's upset and he's urgent. And so he's like the parent who sees his kids playing in the street with a car coming and he's going, stop, watch out. I've told you to not play in the street. Like he sees the problem and he wants to point it out. And Paul cares for these churches in Galatia. 
He had spent time and energy and effort to, to plant these churches. He had preached and he had taught regularly in these churches. He had discipled and invested in the leaders. He had shared meals in their homes. He had re, uh, rejoiced with them in uh, good times and he had wept with them in hard times. And he had celebrated new believers coming to the faith. And so you see, he had labored and the gospel had taken root and bore fruit in these churches. He cared for him. He was a spiritual father. And that's why he's so shocked and astonished at how quickly after he left, they turned from truth. You see, Paul spent about two years with these churches. And some commentators think there was less than six months for the Judaizers to come in and to, to lead them astray. And so he's writing to, to correct them of their error. And so pick back up with me in verse seven. It says, not that there is another one talking about the gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so there are two things that I want to point out here in verses six and seven to us. First, uh, just as this text says, there is only one gospel message. And this is the message that Paul had delivered to them, the gospel of grace. So you see, grace means unmerited favor. It's a gift that's given to us even though we don't deserve it. And so grace means that we're not saved by our works or our efforts, but by the works of another, Jesus Christ. And so he came, he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve. He rose from the grave so that when we put our faith in him, we're made right with him. It's his works, his labor on our behalf that make us right with God. And so we see that justification, that being made right with God is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel of grace. There is no other gospel. That is the one true gospel. The Bible is clear that salvation from first to last is God's doing. It's his calling, his plan, his purpose, his work, all for his glory. And that's what Paul is communicating and reiterating here. There is one gospel, the gospel of grace. And the second thing that we'll see in these verses is the, the, the issue that came. There was a group that troubled the Galatians by distorting this gospel of grace. And so this was a group known as the Judaizers. And the message that they taught to the Gentile Christians in Galatia was that, yes, you need to know Jesus, but you also need to follow the works of the law. You need to get circumcised. There's some things that you need to do for God so that you can be made right with God. And so they're coming in saying, throw out your bacon. No more ham sandwiches, you guys. There's some rules you're going to need to follow. And guys, I'm going to need you to line up because there's a slight surgical procedure you're going to need to see happen here. And so he's leading, they're leading the Galatians astray. And so what the Galatians had heard from Paul, the true gospel message that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And yet now they had bought into a false and distorted gospel that Jesus plus works equals salvation. And so what Paul is pressing into here is that these believers had shifted to a message that was no longer the true message. He's saying there aren't multiple gospels. There is one gospel and it's the one that you heard. This other one that came afterward is a false thing. And what he's saying is that if you're believing in this message that the Judaizers are giving you, even though they're saying they're team Jesus, they're not on team Jesus. They're on a different team all together. And so imagine, if you will, I know we got a lot of Cornhusker fans in the room. Uh, so imagine that you were gifted two 50-yard line tickets for the Husker game against the Hawkeyes, the rivalry game. And you go to your best friend's house to pick them up. 
He says, hold on, I gotta go upstairs and change. He heads upstairs, goes in his closet, pulls out an Iowa Hawkeye jersey, walks down the stairs, and you're like, did he lose a bet? Did he, is he playing a joke on me? I don't know what's going on. You get in the car, you start asking questions like, bro, what are you doing? Why are you wearing that jersey? Like you, yes, you literally bleed red, but even if you didn't bleed, you'd bleed red, Cornusker red. And he's going, well, you know, it's pretty much the same thing. Like they're both division one college football teams. They're both big 10 teams and schools in the Midwest. Like it's the same thing, right? You're like, no, you want to slap them upside the head? It's not the same thing. They're different jerseys. They're different teams. And that's what Paul is pointing out here to the Galatians. Like they had trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They had put their faith in his grace and his grace alone. They were clothed in the righteous robes of Jesus. But now it's like they went to the dumpster in the backyard and they're trying to put on their old works-based religion clothes. And so as we think about how this applies to our life today, I want to dwell here for a minute. And so here's the thing with the Judaizers. Like they weren't atheists coming in going, hey, there's no God. Or they weren't like pantheists coming in going, hey, you're a God, I'm a God, we're all God. All the things are gods. Like it wasn't a blatantly like way off put message. They came in saying, yes, we trust and believe in Jesus too. They hit on aspects of truth, but then they added things onto it. They added works onto it. And so the Judaizers believed a religious message of, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God because of what I have done. And this led the Galatians into a legalistic lifestyle of thinking that, yes, we need to follow some rules. Yes, we need to do some things for God. And yes, when we do these things, we're gonna be, he's going to be happier with us. And so as I look around the room this morning, I don't see like any literal Judaizers in here, I think. Like, I don't think if Chris was up here snacking on bacon, somebody's running down the aisle, smacking it out of his hand and going, not in this house, bro. We follow the Mosaic law up in here. None of that bacon. But the reality is, this is a warning for us in here today. You see, all of us have tendencies in our heart and things creep in where we seek to add to the gospel of grace or think that we need to do some things or accomplish some things for God. And all of these things are distortions of grace. And the struggle with that, and the thing is, is we can struggle with grace. Grace can seem like a foreign concept to us. It seems too good to be true. Really? I have to do nothing? And so you see, grace is unconditional, but we live in a world of conditionality, that if I do this, then this will happen. So if I go to school and make good grades, I'll graduate. And if I graduate, I'll get a job. And if I get a job, I'll make some money and have some financial security. And if that happens, maybe I'll get married. And if I get married, I'll have kids. Or maybe said another way, maybe you leave here today to go pick up lunch. And since uh, Christian Chicken and Chick-fil-A is closed, you head over to Cane's. You order at the, you know, the little speaker. And you just pull up to the window and they just give you food, right? Like it's, they just give it to you? No, like you stop at the first window and you pay so that you can get food at the second window. That's conditionality. And you could keep going on and on about how we see conditionality in our world. And the reason that we can struggle with grace is because grace is unconditional. It's free. We can think that there's surely that we have to do something to add to this, or surely there's some things I've got to do for God to accept us. Or if I do these things, he'll owe us or be happier with us. And we can all drift into legalism, thinking we need to do some things. 
And so maybe this morning you uh, were on your way here with your family uh, and you acted in anger towards your husband or your kids. So in that moment, as you're driving here, you're going, man, I'm going to church. I got to do some things. I got to make myself uh, in good graces with God. And you're going, God, I'm going to read my Bible more this week so that I can make up for the, the way I just treated my wife and kids. Or maybe, God, I'm going to sign up for that men's group that's going to start meeting on Thursday mornings here in a few weeks so that you'll be uh, happier with me or you'll accept me uh, even though I, I messed up this morning. Maybe you fill your schedule full of Christian activity. Maybe you're in like four city groups, nine huddles. You do BFF, BSF and community Bible studies, all the things, because you think in all the things that you're doing for God, that he's happier with you, that you're earning favor in his eyes. Or maybe you, you're the neighbor who constantly is doing nice things for your neighbors. Like you're the first one out there in the snow, like there's a half inch on the ground, but you got that shovel. You're getting all the driveways, all the sidewalks. You get the snowblower out. You're letting people borrow tools. You're just out front waving at everybody constantly, and you do these things because you think, yes, God's called us to love people. I need to be nice to people, and since I'm doing it, he's going to be nice towards me. He's going to give me some things that I want now. And so hear me when I say this, that like gathering with the church, reading your Bible, studying your Bible, praying, serving the church, these are all good things, but it's when we make the subtle shift in our hearts that say, I do these things to earn God's love, to earn God's favor, to earn God's acceptance or to make him happy, that they're no longer good things and they become distortions of the gospel of grace. They become us living out this idea that if I obey, then God will accept me. If I obey, God will be happier with me. If I obey, God will owe me. And that's not the gospel. That's religion. It's legalism. It's us trying to conjure up and make our way to God. The gospel says, I have been accepted by God through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I do these things. Church, should we see the difference in this? And so to be clear, we seek to do these things from a heart and a posture that knows and understands and believes that we have full acceptance of God the Father through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so let me just ask you here this morning as you sit here, like, do you know and do you truly believe that there is nothing that you could do right now that would make God love you more than he does right now? Do you understand that there is nothing that you can do when you're in Christ that changes your position in Jesus? That he looks on you fully with love and acceptance and delight as his child. Nothing changes that. Grace is secure. We don't have to earn it or merit it. It's freely given to us in Jesus. And so God's not after us playing some religious games. He's after our hearts with his grace. Grace must be the center of what we do and how we live as believers. Because if we miss grace or distort grace, or we're not a grace-saturated people, then we miss the point of Christianity and we miss the center of what Christianity is all about. We miss the message of the gospel. And so that's point one, church, that's error one, that they had drifted from the true gospel. We have to see that the gospel plus anything is no gospel at all. Point two is that the truth is in the message, not the messenger. Truth is in the message, not the messenger. And so we will see that the second error that the Galatian church fell into was trusting in the messenger and not the message itself. And so look with me at verses eight and nine. 
They say, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so we already know Paul's coming in a little hot here. He's coming in a little urgent in his rebuke. And in these two verses, we're seeing the seriousness of the error of preaching a false gospel. And so he says, anyone who preaches a gospel contrary to the one that the Galatians had heard, the gospel of grace, that that person should be cursed. And then, so that's verse eight. And then he pauses and it's like, he says, Hey, you guys in the back of the room, in case you didn't hear, I'm going to say it again. If you preach a message contrary to the gospel of grace, you should be cursed. And so he's passing judgment on those who don't preach a gospel of grace. And the crazy thing is he includes himself in this. He says, if I was to come back to you and tell you it's grace plus works, like kick me out, throw me out. If an angel of the Lord comes and says it's grace plus works, don't listen to him because we know what the true gospel is. It came from God. It's a gospel of grace. And so what he's saying is that the truth of the message depends on the content of the message, not the messenger. We are to listen to the message itself and not the messenger. And so imagine uh, you were stuck on a deserted island. It's like day three, you haven't had any water. And me, your loving pastor and friend, somehow I parachute in and I land on the island and I pull a cup out of my little like backpack uh, thing and I walk out to the ocean and I bend over and I dip it up and I walk in and I'm like, you've got the worst cotton mouth I've ever seen. Drink this fresh water. Are you going to drink that water? I hope not. Like, no, because what is the message that that cup of water is preaching? That it's fresh water? No, it's salt water. And if you're in a place of dehydration and you drink salt water, things are not going to go well for you. You're going to dehydrate more and potentially even die. And so it doesn't matter how much you love me or I'm your friend. If I'm telling you something that's false, like you know the truth, don't listen. The truth is in the message, not the messenger. And so it didn't matter how nice or moral or upright the Judaizers were. It didn't matter that there was a large group of them seeking to to influence people. It didn't matter that they were sincere and devout and how they presented, how they believed that uh, the gospel was grace plus works. It's still a distorted and a false gospel because the true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And so you have to know the true message. And so there are messengers in this world, just like the Judaizers, who seek to change the message. And this could be out of ignorance. This could be out of wanting to draw a crowd or for personal gain or fame or notoriety or money or power, whatever the case is. But we have to understand that the gospel does not change, period. The message has, is, and will always be the same, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And church, we have to be closed-handed with the message of the gospel. And so the danger about having a closed-handed message in a culture and a time that changes constantly is that we can want to bend things to what culture says and does. And so like I could spend the rest of this sermon up here telling you guys there is, there is uh, no hell. Everyone's going to heaven. You don't even have to trust in Jesus. Just everyone's going to heaven. Like y'all are going, no, that's, that's called universalism. You can come grab me and throw me out the back door. I'm okay with that. 
And so we've witnessed whole churches and whole denominations shift to seek to change the gospel to fit culture, and the end is always the same. They're, they're not preaching a gospel message. They're preaching some false message that's giving people false assurances of something else. And so I don't think the, the greatest danger for us is up here, like me preaching about universalism or Chris coming up next week and going, hey, you can live your best life now. God wants you to have a life of health and wealth and prosperity. You just need to give more for the church and then God will bless you. Like he's not gonna come up and preach a prosperity gospel. I think the, the greater danger for us, once again, is the subtle shifts that we can make in our own heart as individuals. Maybe it's us making that little compromise here or it's being tolerant about that one thing there, or it's choosing to, to do what's easy and not do what is right and what is faithful and what the Lord has called us to do. And so practically speaking as a church, we wanna seek to guard our hearts in this. We wanna anchor ourselves in the truth of the gospel, be grounded in the truth of the gospel. And that's why we as a church are an elder-led and pastor-led church. Because when you've got one main guy who can kind of act as a dictator, things can get a little wonky. Like people need accountability. We need to be pointed to truth. It's why we have membership as a church because it's the pastors and elders saying, I'm committing to the church. And it's members in the church saying, I'm committing to the church and we're for the, the good and the well-being of the church, the bride of Christ overall. That's why we encourage everyone to be in a city group because we need community. We need people to encourage us and point us to truth. That's why as a church, we're doing a Bible reading plan because we don't want to be shaped and formed by the world and by media and everything else. We want to be shaped and formed by the word of God. And that's why this fall, we're going to start offering some classes that seek to anchor people in the gospel and the foundational truths of the Christian faith so that when things come, we're not swayed to and fro by every wind or doctrine that comes our way. And so City Light, let's be a people that root ourselves in the truth of the gospel as I went through those lists, if you haven't taken steps to pursue some of those things, take steps to pursue those things. Let's remember and be faithful to the message of the gospel of grace. And so that's point two, the, the power and the truth is in the message, not the messenger. Point three is live for the glory of God, not glory from others. And so we'll see that the third error that the Galatians made was they were living for the approval of man. And so we just finished up March Madness this past Monday. I don't know if you guys follow that at all. You probably do. I'm kidding. Uh, but one of the things that happens every March is that people jump on, uh, they start cheering for other teams. They jump on teams' bandwagons. And if y'all remember a few weeks ago, I invited you, please jump on Texas Tech's bandwagon. And guess what? We lost that night. So I'm sorry. I had you jump on our bandwagon. Uh, but maybe uh, you're the person who, during March Madness, you just jump on whatever underdog team's bandwagon it is. You love seeing the double-digit seeds like UCLA make it to the Final Four. Maybe you're the person that you, you know, my team, Nebraska, didn't make it, so I'm cheering for the Big Ten. And so you're hopping on every Big Ten team's bandwagon. Or maybe you're the person that uh, just hears who everyone thinks is gonna win and who everyone's cheering for. And so you just jump on that team's bandwagon because that's what everybody else is doing. That's called the bandwagon effect, by the way. It really does happen. Like people do what everyone else is doing. Uh, but I'm pointing this out because that's what happened with the church in Galatia. So the Judaizers had persuaded the Galatians to jump on the Judaizer bandwagon. And it probably started off with just a few influential leaders in the Galatian church. But when they jumped ship, 
Everybody else followed. We saw the bandwagon effect take place. They were all jumping towards a false gospel. And so pick up with me in verse 10 where it says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? And so Paul begins this verse by asking some rhetorical questions to emphasize that he's not trying to please people. You see, the Judaizers argued to the Galatians that Paul left some things off the gospel, circumcision and following the law, because he wanted to be accepted by them. He wanted their favor, so he left off the more difficult things and the rules that you really have to follow because he was wanting to be liked by people. But look at Paul's response as we continue on in verse 10. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so this argument that Paul is trying to please people was just foolish to him. It was preposterous to him. I mean, the reality, he wouldn't even be writing a letter trying to correct him if he was trying to please man. But his argument in return is that if he wanted to please man, that he would have just continued on as a Jew. And so he's going to unpack a little bit of his resume as a Jew next week in the second half of chapter one. But what we have to know is he had an extensive resume as a Jew. Like he had some education. He had some name recognition. He had some notoriety. He had some respect as being a Jew. But what happens as a Christian is the Jews no longer accept him and kind of boot him out and start persecuting him. And then all the the Christians initially are skeptical of him because they're like, this is the guy who was just persecuting us. And so he's in this weird state of being persecuted, of being beaten as he's seeking to give his life away from the mission of God. Paul is saying that if he was living for the glory of people, that he he wouldn't be serving Christ. He'd still be a Jew. And so what we can see is that Paul's concern was for the glory of God. It was for the good of the Galatian church, and it was for the hearts of the men and women in that church. He's committed to doing whatever the Lord has called him to do, because his ambition was to serve and glorify God and God alone. And so church, this should be a warning to us as well about living to please people or looking for acceptance or approval from others instead of seeking to have our sole ambition be to please and glorify God. And so the call here for us as believers is to uh, fear God and not fear man. And so when we think about the word fear here, I'm not going like, boo, ha, I'm scared. It's not like scary fear. Rather, the word fear here is talking about reverence, standing in awe, standing in respect, standing in worship. And so we are to be in reverence of God. We're to worship God. We're to stand in awe of God. But the problem here is when we talk about fear of man or wanting approval from others, that's us elevating human beings to a place they don't belong in our hearts. And so this can play out in all of our hearts. We can all long for the acceptance and approval of others. We can all desire to be respected and recognized by others. We can all find our significance in what others think of us or what we think others think of us. And so just a few questions to kind of even gauge this in our own hearts. Am I seeking to please people or uh, am I fearing man and not God? Are, are you the type of person who constantly like second guesses or third guesses decisions because you're worried about what, how people are going to respond to what you do? Are you afraid of making mistakes or being weak or confessing sin in front of others because you think they'll see you in a different light? Do other people often make you angry or upset based on what they do or don't do for you? Or on the flip side, are you happier when people do what you want them to do? 
is how you feel based on what others do or don't do. Are you overcommitted? Do you find it hard to say no to people when wisdom and uh, your health and your body would say, you need to say no, you're still saying yes because you don't want to be thought of as weak or uh, thought of in a bad light in front of other people? Or how often do you find yourself looking at others or judging others either to make yourself feel better, like, hey, I'm awesome, I'm not that person, or to either beat yourself up and say, well, I, I will never be like that person. All of these are signs that we're living for the fear of man, that we're living for the approval of others, the acceptance of others. And so we all can and do wrestle with the fear of man. Like I can even look at my own heart and life this week. Like one of the things that can happen in my home is I want to like love and serve my wife, but I can also want her acceptance and approval. So I want to do the things uh, that are going to make her happy. And y'all, it can be a simple thing. Like me going, hey, boo, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? And her go, why don't you decide? Like literally the sweat starts. I'm like, that's why I'm bald right now because I'm stressing over what we're going to eat for dinner. Because no matter what I throw out, it's not what she wants. But I'm kidding, but it's... I mean, it's little things like that. There's multiple times this week where I overthought communication with people because I wanted to be perceived well. I wanted them to respect me. And so that email that could take a minute, I've rewritten like five times and 10 minutes later, I'm hitting send. Or on weeks like this when I preach, can I tell you, uh, my insecure moment is not up here in front of you guys. My insecure moment, if I'm being honest, is on Thursday afternoon or Friday morning when I attach a draft of my sermon and hit send to a group of my peers at this church because I want to, I'm an achiever. I want to be liked and respected. And man, if there's some danger, if they give me a lot of feedback and criticism on having to change things, if I'm finding my identity and what they think of me, right? And so I say all these things because we all can and do wrestle with the approval of others. But the reality is when we uh, live for the approval or acceptance of others, we're putting a burden on ourselves and a burden on them that we're not meant to bear. But the good news for you and me today is that in Jesus Christ, there's freedom from performing for others or looking for approval or acceptance from others. You see, when we put our faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, we're fully approved and accepted by God the Father. So we don't need the approval of others. And so as we've looked at the problem in the Galatian church today, how they've drifted from the gospel and all the errors in the Galatian church, can I just remind us all that, guys, we can't outdrift the grace of God. We can't outrun the grace of God. And so whether you're drifting into one of these errors or all of these errors, the response is the same, that we need to remember and reflect on the grace of God, that we're secure in him, that that doesn't change. And so as I wrap up here today, if you're in this room and you're not yet a Christian, the world might be telling you that you need to do some things, that you need to work harder, that you need to try harder, that you need to clean yourself up. But can I just say that Jesus is telling you something different. You can't work or earn your way to God. The work of salvation is finished and it's not your doing. It's through the person and work of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, substitutionary death and victorious resurrection. Would you trust in his grace? Would you trust that he accomplished what you could never accomplish for yourself so that you could be made right with God? And City Light, may we remember and trust in the grace of Jesus today 
It's his grace that saves us. It's his grace that sustains us. It's his grace that maintains us. It's his grace that transforms us. It's his grace that empowers us to live with him and walk with him. And so let's today and every day remember that we're fully approved of, we're fully accepted, that we're fully loved by God through the grace of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus and his grace, that it's not our own doing, that it's not our own effort, that it's not our own work that makes us right with you. That he came and he put on flesh and he lived a life we couldn't live because that's the only way that we could be made right with you. And so I pray that we would be a people who remember that we are saved by your grace, that our greatest need today is your grace, that it wasn't just a day two weeks ago or 10 years ago, whenever we trusted Jesus, that we needed grace. We need your grace to sustain us throughout this life. And so would we be a people that remember and are empowered by your grace, that we're not playing religious games, drifting towards legalism or fear of man, but we are resting in our identity in you. And so we thank you that your grace is secure, that your grace is what defines us. And would we be mindful of that today and every day? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.